0: Hello and welcome to this podcast from Blackwell Online. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is John Kay. John has taught at Oxford, been director of the Institute of Fiscal Studies and the Side Business School, and in the past decade has concentrated his career on writing. As well as being a regular contributor to the FT, he's published a number of books, including The Truth About Markets, The Hare and the Tortoise, and The Long and the Short of It. His latest book, out this month, is called Obliquity, and explores the paradox that our goals whether in business or in life, are more often achieved when pursued obliquely rather than head-on. I began the interview by suggesting that his younger self, who lived by economic models, would have been surprised by this championing of the oblique.
1: Yes, that's true. I was brought up as an economist in the conventional way economists were. That is with the idea that people go around maximising things. And economists, in a way, have invented an even better reason than that sounds for than it sounds simply for doing that, because they have argued that consistent behaviour is the same as maximisation, and in the mathematical sense, it is. And that was one of the issues which I needed to tackle in thinking about my the book. The origins of the book, in that sense, come from. My kind of experience of learning more about business, essentially. Mm. And as I did that, I came to realize that to say businesses maximized profits was very facile as a description of what the complex institutions actually did. And being an economist, I went around asking myself, so if they didn't maximize profits, what did they maximize? And one day I realized, well, maybe they don't maximize anything. And it was a liberation to, to think that. And as it were, cleared a lot of baggage you know, out of my mind. And that was the origin for my mind of the, of the term obliquity. And it's where I've worked from ever since.
0: And did the, the term obliquity, did the appositeness of that, did that sort of come on like a light bulb or did that sort of dawn rather gradually that that was what you were trying to describe?
1: That that came from a different place and an interesting place, one one that's actually very relevant to the theme of the book, which was it was a, in a conversation with Sir James Black. And Black, as uh, you may know, is the man who won the, a Nobel Prize for Chemistry for discovering two major groups of drugs for British pharmaceutical companies. Mm. One was the beta blockers, which he discovered while at ICI. They essentially were the making of ICI's pharmaceutical division. And then he moved to Smith Klein, and there he produced an anti ulcerant drug called Tagamat. Mm which was a blockbuster for that company, and actually a drug which imitated that called Zantac, which was created by, by Glaxo, mm. actually became at the time the best selling drug in the whole history of the world, pharmaceutical industry, and transformed Glaxo from a company with a more a small company with a rather uncertain future. Being Britain's largest and leading, and the world's leading pharmaceutical company. So, Black, rather oddly, created more shareholder value for British companies than one in the history of British business. Now, that's an important background because the term obliquity came up in a conversation I had with him where I was talking about his reasons for leaving ICI, and he said that in you know, a while, ICI had actually, as I describe in the book, invested a lot of money over over two decades. In a way, a company would not do now, but they'd invested a lot of money over two decades in establishing a pharmaceutical division and had lost money on it. And it was the discovery of beta blockers that gave them the first chance to make some. And Black was unhappy, in fact, because they wanted him to spend a lot of his time promoting the drug he discovered was actually being a scientist. He wanted to get on and find new ones. And that was what prompted him to leave and go to Smith Klein, where, as we've said, he discovered, he made a major discovery for that company. And he said to me, I think of it as obliquity. I used to say to people in ICI, if you want to make a lot of money, there are easier ways to do it than finding new drugs. And then he stopped and said, you know, how wrong could I have been?
0: I mean, you described the, the seeking of profit as the, the major motivation, as being facile earlier. And in fact, you, you show that it can be much more than just facile. It can be dangerous and deleterious to the company if that is set up as the, as the governing objective.
1: Yes. When I, said, when I said it was facile, what I meant was I realized that successful companies, you know, what made them tick was far more subtle than that. And indeed, too much focus on uh, profit motive actually destroyed a lot of the culture and character that made firms successful in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and this was the paradox of obliquity, the things that in the long run made them profitable. And actually, while I was thinking this through in the, in, in the late 90s for the first time, and so a very striking example of that in Marks & Spencer, in a company which was you know, an iconic British business which focused more under the kind of pressures that it was on under the, in the shareholder value-oriented 90s, on its bottom line, as people called it there. And in 1998, actually, made a, a bill reported a billion pounds of profits which is now the highest profit that company has Mm. ever made because within the few months that followed, its sales started to fall off a cliff. You know, the iconic reputation it enjoyed with its customers had been eroded and it was never regained. Mm. You know, Marks & Spencer is now a perfectly well-managed, successful company, but it's no longer the business which it then was. Mm. no longer has the place in our corporate pantheon attended.
0: In the book, you you speak out against what you call bogus quantifications and the sort of over reliance on on those econometric models that uh, that I guess earlier in your career you, you produced. Yes. But <laughs> but you but you're not kind of arguing for a purely intuitive approach. No, so,
1: absolutely not. While. You know, as you say, I spent a fair part of my career building and indeed selling you know these kind of models to corporations and they're not without value, but they can have negative value if they're taken too seriously. Mm. That's one problem. But what I also came to realise was that an awful lot of what we were doing was, as it were, selling models to justify decisions that people had already made on other grounds, Mm. because people thought they ought to make decisions in that way, even if they didn't. But you're right that uh, one of the big worries I have about this book is that people will will say, so you're in favor of intuitive decision-making, and I'm not. Far from it, I'm in favor of highly rational thought-through decision-making, and would like to think I still practice that myself. But that doesn't mean there isn't a huge role for emotion and judgment in decision-making. Emotion meaning that you know, we get angry for a reason. We have mm. feelings of fairness and unfairness mm. for a reason. The, the feelings that we have that we can trust some people and can't trust others you know, give us useful information. But we need to distinguish that from the kind of intuition that leads people to hear voices in the air or mm. know things that they can't know and don't know.
0: Well, one of the one of the nicest little formulations in the book, I thought, for what you're you're adv- advocating was President Roosevelt's bold, persistent experimentation. And I wondered if if you felt that really summed up what you were trying to convey.
1: Yes, I mean that achieving any complex objective is a process of iteration and adaptation that contrasts from the kind of model based calculating structures that have been fashionable in the last two decades which are predicated on a knowledge of the world that uh, people don't not only don't possess but can't possess and the ways in which we make decisions which are incremental and evolutionary and adaptive, and the way we achieve these rather complex objectives, which have have these evolutionary-type characteristics, are a response to a world that is constantly changing and which we have very imperfect knowledge of.
0: I thought it was very interesting when you were talking about Isaiah Berlin's famous formulation that the world divides into foxes and hedgehogs, hedgehogs knowing one big thing and foxes knowing lots of little things, that in the political sphere, it's the hedgehogs, it's those who sort of have one big idea, who get the much better ratings. And I wondered if you felt that was a, was a sort of potential impediment to the kind of thinking that, that you are advocating ever becoming more prevalent.
1: Uh, Well, right, I think it is, you know, whether it's in media or politics, a whole variety of areas of life, you know, people who claim to know the answers, you know, get a better hearing than uh, people who understand that the world is complex and uncertain, and the way we learn is we make tentative moves and we make lots of mistakes, but in, in, in a complex environment. That is actually the reality. And that's why we have this paradox that hedgehogs make worse judgments but gain more applause mm. in situations. <laughs> mm.
0: I also thought it was interesting the contrast you made earlier in the book between those who are honest by policy and those who are honest by, by natural inclination. And I wondered if there was a comparison there with obliquity and whether, whether one can learn to be oblique by choice or if, if, it's, if it's more innate than that and the more you sort of focus on, on being oblique perhaps the less oblique you actually are because it's calculated
1: I think that's an interesting point but, but actually I think a lot of being oblique is just letting our letting our instincts rule it goes mm. back to this problem that we, we're trying to impose what we believe to be a structure of rational decision making on what is not only a a natural mode of making decisions which is otherwise, but the reality of how we are making decisions which are other is otherwise. I think everyone has, you know, been required to fill in forms in some environment or other to, to in effect justify judgments they've already made or decisions they've already taken. We we're, we're going through a a supposedly pro- uh, totally rational process that is actually a sham. And one of the things I want to say is let's acknowledge it's a sham.
0: And the culture of a lot of businesses today starts with a, the enunciation of a higher level objective and then that's broken down into middle-term objectives and then that that goes on people's appraisal forms and in, in, in sort of micro-objectives and by your reckoning then that, that's that's a pretty vain pursuit for the company to be engaged in.
1: Yes, I mean, it's really an iterative process in which you discover more about your high-level objectives through the process of working through what I call goals and actions so that uh, you don't have a kind of knowledge which would, would be needed to impose that kind of structure in the first place.
0: Maybe I can ask you in conclusion. Obviously, we hope people will buy the book and, and absorb the ideas in, in more detail. But if you were to leave sort of one idea, one sort of mental exercise or thought experiment to get people thinking along the right lines, can you, can you think what that might be?
1: I think the exercise goes something like this. Everyone recognizes, or almost everyone recognizes, that the way you become happy is not by pursuing happiness, Start thinking about other objectives which you have in life and ask whether that observation doesn't apply to them as well.
0: John Kay. Obliquity is published this month in Hardback. You can find out full details about the book by going to Blackwell Online at blackwell.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye.